Hello and welcome to the Scottish Football Show. Here's what's coming up. A farce of a weekend? <laughs> it's awful, but I love it. Will life be a beach for Aberdeen? Or will it be Kingsford for a day? And will hearts be our coefficient heroes once more this week? Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever you're listening. I am your host, Andrew Slavin, and joining me in discussing these wonderful times in Scottish football, he's a man that can, if it doesn't make sense, he can make it make sense, make it, maybe, It's football correspondent from the AFB, Kieran Canning. Hello, Kieran. I think I should just walk off after that introduction, to be honest. I didn't make sense of that, but there you go. (laughs) I'm here to believe in better, as always. It's Sky Sports News journalist Anthony Joseph. How are you doing, mate? Hi, Andrew. Yeah, good. Yourself? I'm doing not too bad. Not too bad. And, you know, I I know you're followed a lot by Celtic fans, Anthony. Um, So I, I do want to kick things off with this whole... I don't know. Is there a Celtic paranoia going on with VAR after the weekend? Are they always cheated? You know, we had John Hartson and Chris Sutton both saying Celtic had to beat Hearts and VAR. And um, by all accounts, Tom Boyd apparently had an absolute uh, threw his toys at the pram as well in Celtic TV uh, for Celtic not even getting a corner. But do you agree with any of that? <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> agree with that. But I did. I did find it funny. It's good fun, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Kieran, uh, what did you make of a, a, an interesting weekend before we get into some of the crunching news early on this week? Yeah, I think that it gave us an early introduction to um, what VAR will be like in Scottish football. And by that, I mean it's going to cause more controversy rather than less controversy. VAR isn't the same in the Premier League as it is in La Liga. So in the Premier League, there's a far higher bar of what is a clear and obvious error, whereas in some European leagues, there's more far intervention. I think the Champions League has pretty much a good kind of balance of not getting involved too much. But, you know, sometimes I feel like in the Premier League, you get you get incidences like the, the Celtic penalty claim, for example, which is the one that's caused the most controversy, where it's clearly, I think it's a handball. I don't, I don't think... I don't like those handballs in terms of it's clearly not deliberate, but as the rule stands, it is a handball, it's a penalty. Um, but it's deemed not too, so much of a clear and obvious error that it doesn't get reviewed and then that causes all sorts of uh, chaos and controversy. Coming back to your point about Sutton and Hartson and the assistant boy, what annoys me about it is that they know they're playing to an audience and that audience laps it up. And you know, and they know that they, you know, they get these punditry gigs off the fact of their sort of Celtic playing past, and um, and want to sort of ramp up the the fan angle to it. Look, this this to me just makes it, you know, way more exciting. Like the average football fan may may turn around and think that I'm being a total idiot and this isn't football. You're talking conspiracies there. It won't be long. Have you guys seen the capture on BBC? It won't be long till people are claiming that uh, the Scottish referees and the SFA are are re-editing scenes of of a a game to suit their their agenda. Well, look, guys, we should talk about some other goings-on that have happened just just, uh, on Monday. But um, 
Tam Courts is out of management again. He was the ex-Dundee United manager. He left Dundee United to go to Hungary uh, to become the new boss of Budapest, Budapest Honved. But after four months, he is now out of work. Um, when he went out there, I was thinking, this is fantastic opportunity for a Scottish manager. I know he'd only been you know, managing in the top flight for only a year. Um, but this is... This is a bit disappointing, is it not? We we maybe expected a little bit more. And when you take into account uh, after 11 games, okay, only three league wins, but five in total, five defeats and four draws, it didn't look like he, on paper he'd done too badly. To me, it seemed like he just jumped into something too soon after Dundee United. Uh, kind of the whole thing with Rijeka was a bit strange, wasn't it? Um, how he thought they were interested their official line was that they were looking at another target. And uh, then he left the club and didn't take the Rijeka job because they they had a new manager. And it just seems like he rushed into this. I don't don't know what the thought process was of it, but I I don't know my Hungarian football too well either. You're joking. It just seemed like a bit of a decision on impulse and I thought maybe he would have I think he did enough to have a still to keep a decent reputation in Scottish football or perhaps even um, if he came down to England Uh, and now this will always leave a black mark on his CV won't it he left Dundee United and then went to went to Budapest and has has gone after four months uh, he needs to do a bit of a rebuild, rebuilding process now um, to get his uh, stock high and his reputation back because uh, there were signs there that, I mean, Dundee United really rated him. That's why they named him manager. He was showing real promise um, as a coach and coaching the, the younger the younger teams as well. Um, he was seen as a modern progressive manager and, and you saw parts of that as well once he was given a bit, um, a bit more time. I admire the sort of courage of his convictions to go and coach in a different country and not just a different, a different country with like different language and stuff like that it's not like he's going to like Australia or America or something you know like, he, um, he, how many times do Scottish managers go to like a championship job or a league one job or something like that and they're out after four months the same you know at least he's had that sort of different experience different football culture and stuff like that and I think yeah he's so young for a coach and as you say, his certainly his reputation within the Scottish game will sort of, I think, will survive. Um, will survive this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, speaking of of managers going down to League One, Kieran, uh, Gary Caldwell's back in management. We've seen that he's now the in charge at Exeter City, um, on a long term contract that Exeter aren't known for <clears throat> getting rid of managers um, so often, but. Um, I wonder if in his in his interview he told them that um, one of his successes was employing the SAS. <laughs> I was literally just about to ask uh, any any military bases near Exeter. <laughs> well, I tell you what, the Exeter players might need it because they've been in a bit of trouble this weekend, haven't they, with the police? Oh dear! So there's been an incident at a nightclub where um, we were reporting it yesterday that uh, thirty people were involved in this incident outside. It was either a bar or a nightclub, and there seemed to be a few extra players involved. So, well, if anyone's um, going to maybe cl- maybe they need some SAS training. If anyone's going to clean that act up, it's going to be Gary the Wall Caldwell. 
There you go. Well, I don't know. He could be good, but we haven't seen him for a while since he was assistant at Hibs under Sean Maloney. That didn't end well either. He was doing an interesting job, though, actually. He was Pathways Manager at the uh, City Football Group um, and working. he was working quite closely to Fergal Harkin, who then moved to Standard Liège as uh, Sporting Director. But, uh, yeah, it was an interesting role of uh, taking on Man City's young players and trying to find them loan moves. Well, they own half of the world's football teams anyway, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's not too easy. Girona, they can, it's quite it's quite easy. But um, no, that's uh, not to take away um, what he's done. It wouldn't surprise me if he if he has a few uh, has an eye on a few young talents from from the city group. Yeah, for sure, and he has won the league one as well with Wigan. So mm. uh, all all the best to him. It's good to see Scottish managers, Scottish players doing well outside of the Scottish divisions. But we're going to talk Europe next. Look, Hearts didn't have the best of weekends. I know they scored three against um, Celtic. They lost 4-3. Um, it was a pretty entertaining game. Um, Lewis, Lawrence Shankland, the first player, by the way, to score a hat-trick against Celtic since Frank McDougall scored four for Aberdeen in 1985, Anthony. So it's rare to see that, but he did get two two penalties. <laughs> yes, I, I didn't know that start, actually. That's... That's mental, actually. I can't, 1985. I can't take credit for that. It, it did come from <laughs> SPL stats. He's he's pretty good with his numbers. But Shrekless came into this Hearts team and he's done the business. He came off the bench at the weekend, but you would like to you would expect him to be starting against an RFS side that they have beaten in Europe already. And to finish third, would that be, you know, viewed as a success? Albeit finishing second, is possible. I think considering the group they had, I think it was always going to be tough with Fiorentina there and Istanbul, Basakshi here. Um, I think they can see this as a learning curve. And a lot of these players won't have played in Europe uh, before. Um, I know some have. And it's just it's just getting that experience. And this is, I remember when the Conference League first came in and was being first implemented and people were saying, oh, it might be a waste of time. I actually thought it was a positive for Scottish football because you've got at least five, you've got five, almost half the league is going to start the season in Europe, whether that's playoffs and and qualifiers and that, but they're they're getting that experience. Hearts are in the Conference League, they're playing group group stage football. It's, It's going to be seen as a positive in the long run. And I mean, without... Don't want to go back to Celtic, but Ange Postecoglou talks about uh, this. Uh, you needing the experience in these competitions to to properly compete, and until you get that, you're you're always going to be learning. You're always, and you'll probably learn the hard way as well. And, and I think Hearts certainly have at times um, with some of the results. But this is this is a good chance. This is as good a chance as any to um, get another three points on the board and. Well, I guess they can only see where it takes them. At least make it, uh, make it last until the last game. And uh, it's I, going back to your actual question. I, I think third would be fine if they could get second. It'd be amazing, obviously. But uh, for Scottish football, it, it just looks very unlikely. But it should be seen. It shouldn't be seen as a failure. It should be seen as 
they've had they've had a, an experience in Europe that they haven't had for a very long time, and it can if they if they're in Europe next year, they can they can grow and try and compete if they if they're in this stage again. The, the thing about whether you know start a success or not, I think if they if they win on Thursday, then you can you know you say like at least they got six points. The the issue I think would be it's. It's what Ante was saying in terms of having Fiorentina and, and Bashak here in, in the group was always going to be difficult. But the manner of how they've lost the games against Fiorentina and Bashak here, they haven't been a contest. They've been like sort of absolutely swept aside. Especially second time to Fiorentina as well, wasn't it? The, even even the home games, so I felt like, mm-hmm. although the, the, the scoreline sort of wasn't out of hand by half time, um, the, the flow of the game was, and there was only kind of a matter of time before. before uh, Basak Shearer and, and Fiorentina scored more goals at, at Tynecastle. As a more overall broad view for Scottish football, um, the Conference League and the teams outside Celtic and Rangers are really going to have to try and step up if we're, if we're to stay at the same level we are at the moment, which is obviously beneficial to whoever wins the league because they get straight into the Champions League, but it's very beneficial to the teams below Celtic and Rangers because Hearts, for example, were guaranteed group stage football. But as the years go on, you basically get the same number of points for a Conference League win as you do for a Champions League win. And therefore, how teams or countries rise up through the coefficient is by harvesting loads of points in Europa League, Conference League. It's one of the reasons why both Celtic and Rangers being in the Champions League this year was always going to be very damaging for the coefficient because they just weren't going to get the same number of points. You know, yeah. It, Sort of Scotland have risen so high over the past couple of years. With the Conference League, there is the opportunity there. Like Hearts have had a tough draw, but you know there, there are groups where it will be conceivable for a, a Scottish team out with Celtic and Rangers to to get through a, a Conference League group. It's amazing about the, the coefficient system, isn't it? And it was good you explained it there. I mean, Dundee United probably have, as as things stand, have probably picked up more coefficient points than Celtic Rangers. No, maybe not Rangers because they played qualifiers, didn't they? That's right, yeah. At the moment, uh, Scotland's coefficient just for this season is like 31st, which is below uh, Ireland and Iceland and just above Kosovo. So, <laughs> Jesus. And we've, and we've got two teams competing in the Champions League. Yeah. But, but if you look at this, of the overall um, sort of uh, country ranking, we're still 8th at the moment. So that kind of shows the difference between like 8th and 31st of like just based off this season. Um, so really, yeah, you're kind of looking at uh, hopefully Hearts winning on Thursday it's conceivable Celtic get third place it's going to be very difficult but you're going to need to get something in, in the Bernabeu but yeah that's the sort of that's the sort of price of success in terms of both Celtic and Rangers being in the Champions League mm. that you know the coefficient's going to take a battering It was a, a bit of a brutal awakening for, for Celtic it's been you know catastrophic to a degree for Rangers um, and their realisation getting into the Champions League, which they did so well. I mean, you you remember the full-time scenes at Ibrox when they progressed by beating PSV in the qualifiers. And this pressure now has seemed to be built and built and built upon the, the Europa League final and not performing at the Champions League level. This is the thing that's so different from the Europa League to the Champions League. You can't just walk into this competition and expect to perform at a level that maybe you you would perform, um, let's face it, at a lesser competition. And I do wonder, and I've seen it on a few Rangers kind of um, fans, media, you know, 
people are saying that Gio's gone already. And I just wonder what, what you think of this, if it's something that people are just reading into or if there's any merit to it at all. Yeah, man, I don't think um, he'll be sacked before the World Cup. Sort of regardless, if things went really badly wrong in the next couple of weeks, maybe, you know, and that the four point gap in the league went to, you know, seven or even 10 points, which I, I very much doubt it will just, just on the fixtures that they've got. The, you can see the slide coming now. It feels almost inevitable that he'll go, whether it's now or in a couple of months or at the end of the season. And their point is if you make the change now, then you give yourself a fighting chance that the league costs its only sort of four points with three games against Celtic still to come. Well, the things the things that I, I've certainly been hearing is that there are a few that aren't enjoying training at Rangers. There are a few players that don't take kindly to the fact that Giovanni Bronkhorst is actually taking part in training as well, which I suppose could seem quite funny to fans seeing their boss getting stuck into training and whatnot. But this is... You know, Van Bronckhorst has changed the whole coaching setup at Rangers. He's brought in an all Dutch crew, um, albeit I think the only the goalkeeping coach remains from Steven Gerrard's time. But he doesn't seem to help himself when you know when he gives these post match interviews. Anthony, uh, you know, he he's maybe made a mistake with the McGregor situation. Uh, you know, when he made John McLaughlin number one, but then stating that uh, although most normal football fans would agree that when he said that Rangers shouldn't compete at Champions League level because of the financial difference, um, you know, to then come out and say that his side need to turn on the style against Livingston and then they trail 1-0 for almost 90 minutes of the game and they, it becomes a, an injury time equaliser from John Lundstrom. Like Kieran said, it's a malaise at Ibrooks at the moment and that, that result of the weekend just carries that. Yeah, sometimes I think he, he can be a bit too honest, can't he, in, in press conferences. But as journalists, we, we would never say that we, we want them to, <laughs> to give media training answers. And it's, we, we, like, we like managers to be honest. We like people to be honest. And I think we've got a, a lot of that in Scottish football. And it's good to have Van Bronckhorst. If he, gen, he's, he was just being realistic, wasn't he, when he was talking about uh, competing. Rangers and Celtic can't compete financially with Europe's elite, but um, you can try. Uh, he took them to the Europa League final. He knows he knows well enough that they can break the mold and 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 and, and do well and, and and put a run together on momentum, but also on good performances. They were really good last season in Europe. Um, I, I think it's too early to say that uh, he should be going. Um, uh, I don't think he will. He will be going uh, anytime soon either. I mean, he's four. He's four points behind. Yes, they've had a poor um, Champions League run. Yes, they've had a poor result against Livingston. There, there are times where I know people say, "Oh, it's the the manager bears the responsibility," but there are times where the players need to pick themselves up. And what, like you were saying, I, th- I think Kieran got it spot on talking about there's big players, really influential players at Rangers who are just not pulling their weight. Like Ryan Kent, like Morelos, they, these are these are match winners. Usually, these are uh, look at. I, I know people would argue Kent maybe didn't have the best of domestic seasons last season, but in Europe he was very good, and he was. I mean, I'll, I'll always remember those Dortmund games um, where he was fantastic, and um, even had a few 
uh, non-watchers of Scottish football in my newsroom saying, um, would Ryan Kent, could Kent be playing for England soon? Oh dear. <laughs> and, um, so, and that, that, but that's based on those Dortmund performances. If, if you watch them yeah. against Dortmund, yeah, you perhaps excellent. think that, I guess. Uh, so that he's he blows hot and cold, and it used to be on big games he would he would uh, be there. And I think Rangers were looking for that again this season in the Champions League. But I think I think the thing with that is like the next few weeks are crucial in that because the games that are coming up they should win. There's no like really really tough. Um, you know, it was like tricky fixtures. I believe at home since they're running away, they've got in the next few weeks. If they do get to the World Cup, it's still only four points, and they're still definitely in it. But it's just that it feels that's momentum at the moment. That if they do slip up a few more times, then it could sort of let Celtic get out of sight, even if they do have a bit of a, a dip after and, the World Cup. And if if that happened, they would maybe wait until I, I, there's two ways of looking at it, isn't there? It could be replace them, and then that manager's got almost a month to work with the players ahead of the the rest of the season. But you could also see it, right? Well, maybe you you give them until the Derby game and to, to see a turn, because that's a game, that's a six-pointer, isn't it? You could uh, turn that uh, turn that around and uh, be back on Celtic's coattails again, or depending on how it is, could, could even leapfrog them. But yeah, it's difficult. You, I can see both sides of it, but I, I think it, it would be premature to be discussing... I'm of course leaving at the moment. We can't be having that, mate. You better get your finger out all right and make sure that you get the f-ing results. Time now for a review of a pretty strange weekend in the Scottish Premiership with the introduction of VAR. We've covered a few things already, but from say, let's say the St Mirren Dundee United game, we'll kick off with things there. The the joint best home record in the league, sixteen points from seven games, uh, and and it's called for you know the likes of uh, Northern Ireland fans to be calling for Stephen Robson to be the next Northern Ireland manager. I mean, he's not been in the post at St Mirren for too long, but it's it's also led to some of their players being called up for international duty as well. You spoke about that incident, uh, about the foul for the, the a younger chopped off goal. Keanu Bacchus was influential in all of that, and he's been called up to the Australian squad, uh, I think he was in September. But the Cardiff City and a few teams apparently muted for him. I mean, they've brought in some really good players. Yeah, I think the credit obviously has to go with with Robinson in terms of that was his first proper uh, window in charge, and there were a few question marks over him towards the end of last season because he came in through the season and, and didn't have a sort of great impact in the second half of last season. But I'm judging him now that he's got the, his team together. But I've been really impressed with him. Um, I mean, obviously the, the, the where most people have seen them with the standout result was when they they beat Celtic, but they, they thoroughly deserved to beat Celtic that day. Uh, and we've just we've talked about what a sort of great start Aberdeen have had. And Aberdeen have far more resources than, than St Mirren do and they're sort of level on points. Um and yeah, like you know, they're, they're five points ahead of Hearts at the moment as well. So that sort of gives like a, an idea of, of how well they're doing. And just watching the highlights on this game, um two one really flattered on the United. I mean, not just not just the disallowed goal. Um yeah, there was quite a few other occasions when like St. Merlin hit the woodwork and had good chances. Um and yeah, the sort of play to a formula with the two the two big strikers up front and main Ayunga, but I've been really impressed with Ayunga as well. Um in all the games that I've, I've seen him play. I mean he gets he he might fall foul and far a bit. I mean, I think he's had one red and four yellow cards already in about seven or eight games. But um but yeah, just like 
really physical, but also like quite skillful as well. Um, and yeah, they're 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 a real threat with those two up front. Absolutely, with um, I think Ayunga's quite really dynamic player, but um, with Dundee United, Anthony is Liam Fox heightest. He seems to be complaining about. <laughs> About his centre halves being too small. I mean, I know Smirin put in a ton of crosses or whatnot, but he's he's bemoaning his central defenders. Um, and Stephen Fletcher, who's got up front, he's pretty tall. Stick him in centre half. <laughs> yeah, he could do. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, a few teams used to do back at back in the day, wasn't yeah. it? When strikers got a bit older, they started playing centre back. Um, they're big strikers. But uh, his comments about the defenders reminded me a bit of. Uh, Gordon Strachan talking about genetics oh, and being, being too small to compete uh, international football. But uh, no, it was a bit, uh, it amused me anyway. <laughs> what about Kilmarnock, guys? A, a, a solid 1-0 win against Ross County. It was when Kyle Lafferty served his first of a 10-match ban um, after using sectarian language. But it hasn't been all doom and gloom in Ayrshire. I think that's four games unbeaten now for them uh, under... Derek McInnes, that's who it is, yeah. But but Malcolm McKay, he sees he seems not to be concerned that he's not his team aren't converting the chances because they're at least they're creating them. But I don't know, like six goals in twelve games seems to be pretty worrying, Kieran. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the argument would be that um, this around this time last year, Ross County were in a similar position and came on really strong in the second half of the season. <clears throat> and then when those clubs have like a huge turnover and players from from season to season, so sometimes it can take. A while to sort of adjust, but just based on what I've seen so far this season, because what we've said about St. Mirren, Livingston going strong again, St. Johnston look better, I think Muller will be fine. I think from that point of view, it has to be a concern for Ross County because although they haven't really shown it so far, uh, based off the players they have and the, the budget they have, you would expect Dundee United to, to get out of trouble. I mean, they might not, but um, they should do for the, the sort of resources that they have. So you're kind of looking at it and thinking Ross County, Kilmarnock, maybe St. Johnson, you're going to be fighting down there for the, for the and to avoid relegation and avoid the playoff, um, and that's why like games like the, the this weekend, you know, those sort of head-to-head games are are so big. So to to lose that one be a real blow for Ross County. Yeah, it'll be. I mean, it was a a really good win for for Kilmarnock because they do come up against a St Johnston team who are doing quite well at the moment. They beat Hibs. 2-1 at the weekend, they had to come from a goal behind and it seemed to be a game of two halves, all Hibs the first one and then St Johnston when Stevie May came on seemed to change things and um, you know it's, it was the biggest home crowd at Easter Road for 33 years, I mean that's an absolute shocker for Lee Johnson I think someone was telling me about how that stat is skewed a little bit, obviously they've had sellout crowds, uh, well actually it is the biggest crowd, home crowd but uh, that's due to like segregation usually, isn't it, for Derby days yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, when uh, Celtic or Rangers come to town as well. So, but it was great to see a Friday night fixture. It wasn't on, wasn't on TV. Both fans making actually a, a great noise. I don't know if you saw there was a violin getting the crowd going. Oh, really? Uh, playing freed, freed from desire Real Betis style. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> no, the Real seen. Betis version of it. Um and there, that was replicated at Easter Road and the place was bouncing to be honest. It was actually it was actually really good. Um but in terms of the game, Hibs could have been about two or three up in, in that first half and they probably should have been. Um I thought the red cards definitely uh, changed it 
and uh, yeah, St. It was St. John's performance in the second half was they looked a real threat from set pieces, and and they they got their their chance at glory when they had, they had their big moment when they. Uh, Due to the sending off, and, and they took it, and it was it was it was actually a really good game to watch, and uh, just to see two teams going at it in front of a sellout crowd that didn't involve it being a cup final or didn't involve Celtic and Rangers as well. It was it was a real advert for Scottish football. I thought just just on that again, going back to something mentioned before with uh, Dave Cormack's comments on the TV deal and. Uh sort of pay-per-view and stuff like that it kind of blew that argument out of the water that a pay-per-view game uh, diminishes the crowds because it was available on pay-per-view and it was the crowd I've had in 30 odd years um, and also it was maybe a bit of um, you know Hibs getting a taste of their own medicine because I think a huge number of their points this season have come against 10 men or even 9 men <laughs> played Rangers you beat me too and, uh, and this time round it was like the, the shoe was on the other foot in terms of they were the dominant team and winning and then go down to 10 men and end up losing the game but in terms of St Johnston, I mean, it stops a losing rot. It was three defeats in a row, and no, you look at now they've they've kind of extended the gap uh, between themselves and, and Dundee United and Ross County. It does lead into the, the next weekend's game with Kilmarnock quite quite interestingly because these games before the World Cup are important because if you can finish in a good footing, you can come back feeling a bit more positive rather than thinking you know you're you're having to fight uphill a little bit. Last week, a report commissioned by Aberdeen City Council and Aberdeen Football Club showed how a new football ground at the beach could generate $1 for the local economy over the next 50 years. But what would it mean for fans to leave their spiritual home of Pataudry? Well, to gauge that prospect and to understand what a huge move this would be, we're joined by football writer and host of the Scottish Football Forum podcast, John Bleasdale. John, uh, thanks for joining us once again on the show. So what do you make of this kind of report? Obviously, it's not anything that's going to happen soon, do you know what I mean? It's just these are very early stages, but it seems quite exciting, doesn't it? Or are you a bit on the fence? See, until they start putting the the shovels in the ground, I'm not going to believe a lot of it, to be honest, because we've been waiting for a stadium for over 20 years. I remember when they did the um, the 100 Years DVD back in uh, 2002, they were talking about it then, we're in 2022, and we're still talking about it. And we've had these plans. I don't think they've been as, as detailed as they are just now, although the Kingsford one from before 2019 was about as detailed as it got. Um, but obviously, COVID hit and that put that to, to bed. Um, so, yeah, until they start, until um, it actually starts getting off the ground, then I'm just skeptical about it all, to be perfectly honest. And some, we'll know that to talk about some of the figures, but I'm a wee bit mm, skeptical about the figures. <laughs> but, but with Dave Cormack coming in, he's he's obviously he, he seems to come across. He seems to obviously like to put himself in the papers and be in the press. Um, but you know, he's at the same time, it's encouraging, isn't it, as a Don's fan to see a chairman who's constantly trying to push the boundaries of the club and, to a re- certain respect, the 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 league as well. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a change um, to, to the norm. And uh, when he first came in, you know, he was saying all the right things. Like, you know, it's been two, one trophy in twenty five years is below expectation for a club of Aberdeen size, and he's absolutely right with that. Um, 
you know, we should be pushing for honours a bit more. And, uh, you know, the football at times was a bit turgid at that, that particular period. Um, but And he was vocal in terms of the crowds coming back. He had um, data to try and back that up. But at the same point, he is judging, you know, his managerial points. He made that total pig zero the first one. Um, and I don't believe that, um, I mean, he says there was 100 applicants. Well, he only interviewed one, as far as we're concerned, and that was Stephen Glass and he got the job. Um, it was a PALS Act. Um, but let's just I think he's got this one right with Jim Goodwin. So I'll give him, um, you know, that one. Um, but yeah, sometimes he's outspoken. But um, but yeah, he's, he certainly wants the best for Aberdeen and um, we'll just have to see what happens. Anthony, you, you grew up in Aberdeen as well. So what can you tell us about being on the beach in Aberdeen? Is it is it a lovely place to be uh, on the coast? When we get that one day where the sun is shining and the wind isn't blowing, that is a very nice place to be. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, looking at looking at the plans and looking at the artist's impressions, it looks amazing actually. Yeah, I, when I first saw it, I was like, "That looks cool," and that that would be great. It would be a good tourist attraction. Um, it would completely revamp that kind of beach area, which sort of, actually in the last 15 years, I would say it sort of got run down a wee bit, but it seems to be picking up. Certainly the last few visits that I've been, um, it seems to have uh, picked up with a few nice cafes and, and things going in there. And the way the, the stadium is meant to come out onto, like almost right onto the beach, um, it looks it looks really good. But the, the issue with, Aberdeen and that area as well, nothing is quick. And with the council, they, they can't make decisions, they can't do anything. I mean, I, I worked as a reporter, as a news reporter for the Evening Express in Aberdeen. And for, obviously not um, in my time there, but uh, for like 40 years before I was there, they were talking about this bypass, uh, this Aberdeen bypass um, that was... It never happened. No one actually believed it was going to happen. And eventually, a few years ago, it did happen. And uh, it's just those kind of things that take so long. That it, it, the amount of times that had gone to the council for votes and, and everything, and it got knocked back. They tried to revamp Union Terrace Gardens that Ian Wood was going to put in lots of money, use the oil money to revamp the city. And they, they turned it down. The council turned it down. There was so much... There was so much um, there was there was so much of a backlash from some sections of of the community that uh, councillors voted against it. This was a private investor wanting to put millions, tens of millions of pounds into uh, revamping the city, and it was turned down by the council. Wow! And even and even the Kingsford site, so the the site where um, close to where Aberdeen's Cormac Park is right now, because they built the training ground there already, and um, in the with the expectation that the stadium would also be built there, but um, that—that's there was a no Kingsford group, and honestly, if you saw any of their meetings, if uh, you couldn't find anyone who didn't have white hair or a bald head there, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, no, no offense, Kieran, <laughs> no offense, <laughs> absolutely no offense, but it was just showing. It's there was such people just don't like change up in the northeast. 
and they were so against having the the stadium, saying it's not cut out, the facilities aren't there. But the thing is, if you built a stadium there, the rest of the community can be built around. Just like if you build any development, um, like I live in London, if you start building a housing development, suddenly shops and bars and restaurants appear. Um, so there's just not that kind of foresight. But I think it's actually a good decision that they haven't built the stadium in Kingsford um, at the moment, because I think this beach option is such a good option, but I just can't see it being pushed through in the next 30 years. Because it was, it was the it was the council that that approached Aberdeen, wasn't it? It was them that that said, "Don't go to Kingsford. Let's do a report together to to make this, you know, keep the club in the city." Yeah, it was, but I just just the everything that goes with it that um, there'll be another group that's set up to to stop the stadium coming to the beach, and then councillors who want their votes at the local elections will. Well, might think again, and maybe I'm being too sceptical, but uh, I'm too cynical about this. But I, I just can't. I hope it happens because I think it would be really good for the city. But um, I just like uh, John was saying, until the shovels are going in and they're digging, I won't believe it. Anthony, I, I believe that the um, the beach was proposed before. I don't know how long ago because there's been that many proposals that have been put forward and put in the bin. Um, what and, and I think it would be an, an ideal area because um, you know it's near where Patoja is. It keeps businesses um, going in the city centre. So what's changed the council's hand in your opinion? Probably money. Probably realising that this has potential to keep money in Aberdeen in the city because technically Kingsford would have been Aberdeenshire. Is that am I right in saying? And uh, I guess if you if you look at Union Street, uh, the amount of uh, shops that are not are, are now closed and things like that. They need they they need that money to generate. Obviously, the there's been the collapse in the oil price, but I know that things are picking up with uh, renewables and um, and uh, renewable energy in in the northeast as well. So it's it's just to keep that economy. And I, I guess if they're if they're putting out figures of one billion pounds over a, a certain amount of time, I, I'm not sure how where where they've got that from, but it has potential, and it keeps it, it. It means that people stay in Aberdeen City and go to the beach area. And it just, like it, like I said, the, the artist's impressions of it. I don't know how if anyone looks at that and says, "I, I, I, do, I wouldn't like that." I, I've not met anyone that would say that, and I'd, I'd be surprised if many do, especially people who want to want to see. Uh, fresh investment in in the city, and also want to see tourism booming, and just see Aberdeen booming again. Picking up on what Anthony has said about you know locals maybe against change uh, in the northeast, but is that the same for Petrodji? Would most Don's fans say they would rather stay um, at at their at Petrodji and not move? Even though you had Stuart Millen a couple of years ago, the ex-chairman saying it would be cheaper in the long run to create a new stadium rather than paying and forking out all this money just for the upkeep of the current one. I think there's um, logistical problems in redeveloping Petodre. Um, so I think as most Aberdeen fans, they would, in an ideal world, redevelop um, the three other stands that need to be redeveloped in Petodre. But the problems that you've got there, behind the Metlin stand, there's now um, nice flats overlooking the stadium, etc. So you'd need to... Um, no, 
get everyone moved out there and knocked down those flats. Behind the Metland stand, the main it's not the Metland stand, the main stand. Um, there's a street and a car and a car park, which I don't know is for Aberdeen officials. And behind the south stand, there's a graveyard. <laughs> so draw your own conclusions as to how much red tape you'd have to go through to get that done. So it's just going to be it's too much red tape and probably too cost uh, too high in costs. But that's the thing I also don't get. I mean, the, um, I get it's also going to be more expensive in the city centre than it is um, out in Kingsford, but. £80 million is an awful lot of money. And we're on Aberdeen Council and Aberdeen Football Club getting this money from. That's the question I would ask. Ian, where's the money coming from? Well, I was just <laughs> going to say, when you were talking about the, the bit that I I uh, felt was, has been missed out so far for the conversation of potential £1 billion is that uh, this came from a consultation of which Aberdeen were, were part of. So uh, I think the, they might have been... Massaging the figures is maybe a bit harsh, but you know, looking at the very best, you know, if if, if inflation continues over the next fifty years at ten percent, then you know, possibly it will uh, it will generate one billion. But um, and I think with with Cormac, as someone who's not an Aberdeen fan and not from from the area, but has kind of followed his involvement with Aberdeen, um, and particularly someone who who keeps an eye on the sort of financial side of, of football he came in with a lot of seemingly good ideas he was very much about this idea i mean even sort of re- more recently when the the switching of kickoff times with the Dundee united game and all this idea of promoting the game promoting the game and the scottish game abroad and things to then see what he came out with a few weeks ago regarding the the tv deal um i think his credibility amongst a lot of non Aberdeen fans plummeted um off the off the back of that and the sort of um for someone who purports or promotes himself to brought to bring fresh ideas and a fresh audience to the, the Scottish game, that was um yeah, it seems completely contrarian to to what we he'd like to put out there. So um from that point of view and I and I'm from some people I know that have uh, that have worked closely with them, shall we say, um, they haven't been as sort of impressed as they were hoping they were going to be a few years back. And it's come back to that thing of uh, I remember way back when we used to do the podcast with JJ, and one of his big uh, issues with the Kingsford fight was the fact of how remote it was away from the the city centre, and the, the whole match day experience was going to be a problem if it was that far removed. So I can see the the attraction for both the club and the council to keep everything there and in that one site but it's going to be as ever and what are the figures going to add up and particularly just in the general sort of economy of things at the moment we know that council budgets and things are going to be squeezed over the, the coming years so things will be extremely hard for the council to to sort of be seen as justifying putting in um public money into a stadium and I think that's also maybe a bit of a disconnect with Cormac because although he is from the area originally a huge number of his ideas are very Americanized given that that's where he's made his sort of business and even last week he was talking about you know if this was in the states there'd be big signs up saying your tax dollars are at work but I feel that just there's a that disconnect there that he's you know sort of trying to Americanize these things that um just aren't going to to wash and aren't, would struggle to wash in the best of times, never mind in the worst of times financially. 
Right, well now the stadium stuff's done and dusted. Let's let's talk um, more about on the pitch matters. Um, staying with Aberdeen and and John is staying with us as well. Um, but it was a good weekend for Aberdeen who have been miserable on the road. The only second or third away win in twenty three Premiership matches, John. Yeah, and we went into the game with the third worst away record league, playing the team had the joint worst home record league, so some had to give. And thankfully, our away blues um, ended. Um, for the moment at least. It was a great week, Anthony. Really, seven days for, for Aberdeen. Three wins, Um, obviously one of them in the Cup. But it does beg the question, and, and people have talked about this already, are Aberdeen um the third big force in Scottish football again? But Jim Goodwin takes a lot of the credit. He does. And the th- to, say, uh, to go back to what you said there, Aberdeen should be the third big force in Scottish football. I think by far, and Hearts and Hibs fans won't thank me for this, but I think they're by far the third biggest club in Scotland um, for their potential and what they, the, the their wider fan base. But they don't often, they're not often the third force in Scottish football. They, they were the second for for a, for a wee while in the last decade. But um, they, certainly last season, they allowed themselves to to drop down. It's it's, it's been such a turnaround of uh, the sort of the feeling from uh, among Aberdeen fans and people in the city. A lot of my friends, most of my friends, are Aberdeen fans. And a couple of weeks ago, it was all doom and gloom. They were in the bottom half of the table, not looking down. Actually, wondering who is is. Are any of the those teams going to leapfrog them? And now suddenly they're in the, back in back in semi-finals again, which they were doing consistently under Derek McInnes, and and they're, they're third in the table, seven points off Rangers. They they should be looking up, really. Coming back on um, on the recruitment, well, one I think that's that's the big thing, and maybe going back to the previous uh, conversation on on Cormac that there is should be some credit given there that although Goodwin was a big part of it, it wasn't all of it and that they have put in a, a much broader sort of scouting network in there when you look at the where they've brought their players in from, you know, they've gone from, you know, all across Europe and, and further afield to, to bring these guys in. And even if you just look at the squads, I know they made a few changes in midweek for the for the cup. Um but when you look at like the squad at the weekend you've got like Ramirez on the bench, Bezawan on the bench, Kennedy, you know, like these were guys that were, you know, for important players in the in the, the last season in particular. So um and another thing on, on Goodwin is that I thought he did an excellent job at St. Mirren, but if you watch Goodwin St. Mirren's teams you would say defensively very strong, hard to beat, hard working, whereas this Aberdeen team, you know, they're scoring an awful lot of goals and they're quite by quite some distance the third highest scorers in the league. Um, already had like a few fours and fives um, this season, so and they look like a really, you know, attacking, nice side to watch. Which you know is not necessarily what I thought Goodwin would possibly do a good job at Aberdeen, but that sort of style of football is maybe not what I expected. And so he's kind of showing that as he goes through the sort of levels of budget that he has available to him, you know, he can he can change the the style of football that he, he puts out as well. He's he's brought so much pace to the team, John. That's the one thing that I I noticed that that we've we've talked about the recruitment, but it's the it is the amount of pace that he's he's added to this side that makes it for so exciting. But then, but the Dundee United results can come around the corner, and that's the things that you want to stamp out. 
Yeah, well, well that's the thing. That that Dundee United um game highlighted there were still deficiencies. The, the, the waveforms I mentioned before was horrific and um the the amount of goals that were conceded um on the road was pretty poor. So there are still faults in there. I I still worry about the lack of depth within the centre back area because we only have two recognised centre backs in scales and Stuart. One of them can't play against Celtic because he's um, that's his parent club unless I get sorted out in January. But yeah, going forward, we look really good. I mean, Duke's becoming a cult hero. Um, he's his work effort's tremendous. You know, he's um, he started contributing some goals to the team. Bioski looks like a cool player that could um, be good selling value in a year or two, hopefully a bit longer. Um, but also, I think some of the younger players around them are looking better, like Jack McKenzie. Um, he did superb for the goal at the weekend. He's getting these short pulls, but he's continuing on and then putting that cross um, for for Duke to score. And I thought, fair play to young man. So. Yeah, it's um, it's all looking upwards. Um, Goodwin was my first choice um, before Glass got the job. So I was, oh, naturally when um, Glass lost his job, that I thought my, ten, my attention turned to Goodwin again. And he was ruthless when he came in, possibly too ruthless, because he had to work with what he had to the end of the season. And we limped by and did just enough to um, stay away from the playoffs. But, you know, it was always going to take time for, when you're recruiting 12 players, or 11 players, whatever it is, it takes time for them to bed in, but they seem to be doing okay. And um, it's just such a um, tight league below Celtic and Rangers that we're somehow third on the table. Um, but there's not much between ourselves and some of the teams below us, of course. My thanks to Kieran, Anthony and uh, John as well. We'll be back next week with more, but, you know, if you haven't already, subscribe to the show um, if you do like us. If you don't, that's fine. But we're on all of your platforms. And uh, leave a wee friendly review as well. Or a mean one. They're always funny. Uh, We'll see you next Tuesday.